Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I am your host, D-Palm. Follow me on Twitter at D-Palm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guessed it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere podcasts are given away for absolutely free 99. The bourbon is drank. The cigar smoke is cleared. And we have a champion in college football. Georgia beat TCU Monday night 65-7. We'll get over some of the historic nature of that score later on. But first and foremost, I want to tip my cap TCU. That's right. Tip my cap. Because they did everything they were supposed to do. They went through the Big 12 when they were supposed to finish 7th. They beat everybody. Couldn't get it done in the Big 12 title game. They still made the playoff. They got to the playoff. They played a Michigan team that did not take them seriously. They played a Michigan team who thought they were going to roll over and roll through the Horn Frogs of t- TCU. And Sonny Dykes and Max said, no, sir, not on our watch. They held on to win over Michigan. 51 to 45 in the Fiesta Bowl. And then Monday happened. And please note, I come not to bury TCU. Sonny Dykes doing this in his first season on that program should be nerve-wracking for everyone in the Big 12. Um, but nationally, I think we're collectively done with the TCU experiment. We had an, it was a cute, it was adorable, it was a great story. But stories don't win games most of the time. And trust me, I'm still me. I'm still petty. I'm still small. And if Ohio State had been on the other end of a 65-7 to drubbing, this would be a three-hour solo podcast making fun of Ohio State. I would mock their silly coach. I would mock their silly, silly V. What else? I think I'm just glad that their fan base is as mad as you've ever seen them after watching Monday night. And that's a gift from Georgia to the world. You're all very welcome. But, yeah, let's cover the game itself. Georgia went out there, and they did what they were supposed to do. They handled business in a way that was, and I want to quote Stetson here, cool and efficient. They asked Kirby what he wanted to see out of his team pregame. He said aggression. He said, is that it? He said, that's it. That's all we coach. Aggression. And from Tommy Leather, it was aggression. It was a beating the likes of which we have never seen in college football bowls. And I say that not as hyperbole. I say that with the evidence in front of me. I've got a, a collection of the largest spreads ever in bowl season. I remind you, we've been playing bowls for over 100 years now. 1953, the Orange Bowl, Bama beat Syracuse by 55. And in 23, LSU put it on Purdue this year by 56. 2018, Arm vs. Bowl, Army over Houston, 70 to 14, that's 56. GMAC Bowl in 2008, Tulsa hung it on Bowling Green, 63 to 7. And on Monday night, the University of Georgia vanquished, not beat, not dominated, vanquished. TCU with a final score of 65 to 7, 58 points, the largest postseason bowl spread ever. And 
what's remarkable to me and what's fascinating to me, particularly with this team, we're going to talk about the whole thing, but I want to get out there front, front street. If you've heard this podcast before, you know how I feel about that quarterback. And on Monday night, you got to see why. Because it's always been my belief for the last two, three years that 65 points was in this offense at all times. That they were not living up to the potential, which is kind of, if you look over the last 30 years of Georgia football, it's been the refrain. Will we ever see this thing at peak efficiency? Will we ever see all the pieces come together for 60 minutes? And listener... We saw it. And the refrain used to be, we want Bama. No one wants Georgia. From the moment they went up 17 to 7, it was a very relaxed night in the Palmer house. I'll admit it. Hey, when they blew that coverage on the the switch route, I jumped up and almost hit the ceiling. And friends, I have very high ceilings. I was upset. I was mad. I got flashes of the LSU shootout that didn't have to be. I got flashes of the early explosion out of Ohio State that came down to a missed field goal. But all my fears were assuaged and all my concerns were put to bed when Stetson Bennett hit a wide open line McConkie on the left side. And the scariest part about that play, the overout was there too. Scarier than that, if the, if the corner doesn't, wrongly, jump that running back, that's touchdown too. I want to give a big hat tap, uh, tip of the cap to Todd Munkin, who uh, came out and called a perfect game. And um, I'll say it right now. Stetson Bennett has erased number 34 as the greatest dog of all time. And if all it took was for me to have multiple heart attacks over the last few seasons... 100% worth it. It was a beating from foot on leather to the end of the whistle. When you're pulling your quarterback out with 13 to play so he can get a curtain call and the second score two more times, you've created something that has the opportunity to persevere through NIL, through recruiting classes, through... Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. Please put Texas in the East. I would love to do this at Texas once a year. It's a formula that we saw the beginnings of a couple years ago at Georgia when they made the title game in 2018. And I was in the building and sitting next to my father and watched them lose to Alabama. And there's a big part of me that never thought we'd achieve all the greatness that was possible. I was wrong. Hand up. I was wrong about Stet. I was wrong about this team. Um, because Kirby said it in the leaked audio from the pregame speech. Leave no doubt. They left no doubt. This is a team that lost 15 players to the NFL draft and then lost the same number to the transfer portal. This is a team that won last year, lost 30 players, and came back and did it again. In an era where back-to-back championships should be 
possible. Everyone's going to look at the final score and say, oh, Georgia walked. I'm telling you that the accomplishment is bigger than 65 to 7. The accomplishment in this era, in this conference, is far larger than 65 to 7. They held TCU, which averaged 474 yards a game and 41 points a game, to 188 yards and a single touchdown. Sit with that for a second. 188 and a single touchdown. That's wild. They didn't hit 65 on Sanford. They didn't hit 65 on Kent State. Georgia Tech scored 14 on them. There's a new gold standard in college football. And it lives in Athens, Georgia. It is remarkable to have watched this team over the last few years round into the shape they're in now. And this is going to be some rambling. It's going to be some repeating myself and whatever, man. It's my podcast. And I heard some people say, oh, last year was sweeter, but this... No, there was nothing sweeter for me than watching every second of this blowout. Because it turned into 60 minutes of recruiting film. Come on down to Athens. You might play as a freshman in a national championship blowout. Because at the end of that game, when they had the fours in, I'm going through the miracle roster to see who these players are. And I watched every snap of Georgia football this year, guys. People said it was uncouth or unsportsmanlike for Georgia to run up the score. Hey, baby, we only got one playbook. And it's not the we're beating them too bad playbook, foot off the gas. No. It's inside run for 22 yards. We weren't even trying to, bro. We're trying to get out of here. We're trying to get the clock moving. And they kept scoring touchdowns almost by accident. I don't want to sound like this was just, you know, and a lot of this happened. A lot of this people, oh, it's just better athletes. That is true. There's better athletes on the Athens side of the ball. I'm not going to lie to you there. But a huge problem is the way Monken and Kirby and the gentlemen on the field approach the game. What's the worst thing? What's the thing I said after Ohio State? This is the worst thing in the world for TCU. Because you've given Kirby something to yell about for 10 days after a win. I cannot imagine how hard those practices were going into that game. I'm not going to read the pregame speech. I'm not going to link it here. Please Google it and find it. It leaked out. There's two that have leaked this year from Kirby. They sound very similar in intensity, in the amount of cursing, and in the message. And the core of the message is, you've earned this. Not from a deserved standpoint, not from a, oh, you're here. It's from a, hey, we put you guys through hell. You work all week for the opportunity to pick up your paycheck on Friday, Monday, Saturday, whenever they happen to play. And his message has been unwavering. If you've put in the work, how dare you not get the reward? 
And it's that cornerstone that they built at Georgia that makes it super interesting to me. It's the thing I said when um, Gurley came back for his senior year. I said they're setting a precedent that's dangerous because if the best players come back, then the young players have no right to say, well, why aren't I playing? I'm going to leave. And some guys left last year. 15 guys left, transferred out. None of them are champions today. Zero. They got two incoming. They took in no one last season from the transfer portal, notably. And you can throw recruiting rankings at me, and you can throw uh, projections, and Miami's got... I don't give two good shits about the stars you bring in. It's the stars you put out. It is nigh impossible to watch every college football athlete, excuse me, high school football athlete in this country. Impossible. And so I'm going to give you guys some game real quick. Watch early signing day. Watch the number of five stars that are signed there. And then watch that number, the early signing day. And then watch that number miraculously. There'll be more five stars for national signing day. Why is that? Easy answer. Because if we want you to pay attention to national signing day, we can't have a bunch of fours and threes out here. That's not a headline. So when early comes, you'll see some of those kids start to waver or, 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 or get a little lower because they've already committed. They can't sell that. Where did these five stars come from? Because they had to fill those slots. I will never. And maybe this is this. A lot of this is the ability to say this because we're in a, I live in a town rich state, and the school in my in my state tends to dominate the talent that they want from that state. I'm able to do that. I'm also able to look and see that Georgia's able to recruit nationally now. You've heard it a thousand times. Brock Bowers from Napa, California. Talk about culture shock, but I think he's fitting in pretty well. He's got one more season to play for free before he gets paid on Sundays, and I'm very excited to cheer for him next year. Um, let's go back to Stat Corner. I'm going to jump all over the place here. Georgia is the first team in this college football playoff era to win back-to-back national championships. Kirby Smart is currently 25-2 and when there are more than 17, seven days between games. He's won 16 of those in a row. The largest margin of victory in a bowl game in college football history. It's all that sport, dog. Kirby Smart started his tenure 7-5 at Georgia. He's gone 74-10 since. Thirty-eight points in the first half, thirty-eight plays. Started the game with six consecutive scoring drives, and here's how you know it's a true team game. They were gentlemanly enough to allow the punter to kick the first drive of the second half because George is for the children. Everybody plays. <laughs> In the last two seasons, Georgia's defeated every non-Georgia national champion since 2014. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and LSU. Kirby Smart as many national championships as Bob Stoops and Steve Spurrier combined. Since Kirby Smart was hired at Georgia, no one has won more national championships than Georgia. Their last 34 games? I know you're curious. Georgia's 33-1. 
This year alone, Georgia defeated the current AP ranked number 3, 4, 6, 15, 16, 20, and 24 teams. Kirby Smart is undefeated against Ryan Day, Brian Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, Dabo Swinney, Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley, and Sonny Dykes. A.D. Mitchell has scored a touchdown in four straight college football playoff games. Stetson Bennett, we'll talk about him now. He ends his college career with two national championships and a record of 29-3 as a starter. Now, my complaints about Stetson exist. I'm not going to delete any of those podcasts. The doubts exist because I'm a broken lineman who only sees problems. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay. If that's how I approach life, I'm okay with it. Because Stetson Bennett went out there and didn't just, he didn't just, everyone, oh, Deep Hall, it's not just me. The coaches admitted it after the game. We told him repeatedly, they told him repeatedly he wasn't good enough to do it. And he did it. He did it. Over and over and over again. Stetson Bennett has played in four college football playoff games. He's 4-0 and has been the MVP of every game. In those games, 67.8 completion percentage, 317 yards per game, 15 total touchdowns, one INT, and he had six to his name on Monday. There's not a lot you can say about the performance. It's unassailable. What I really appreciate about what they've built in Athens is what I think is going to last. We'll talk about the future in a second. If you caught that pre-game speech I already referenced, you hear the passion, you hear the love, you hear the, 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 the excitement out of Kirby Smart. I always hear, he's a boring interview. Get behind those doors, see what he's like. Get behind those doors. Catch him after a national title. The, uh, the post-game pressers, one of which, uh, I guess the next morning, Stett decided to send Brock Bowers instead. Yeah, I ain't coming, which is hilarious, and God bless him. He said that his why, Kirby did. And I'm not one, I don't buy it. This is all salesmanship, and it's all coach talk, and that's fine. But they asked him his why. There were two things that stood out for me. One, he didn't thank God. It's a big win for me. <laughs> but two, he thanked his wife and his family. Because he said, and then he thanked the, the, the gentlemen, the young men. And I want to make sure I get everything right here. He spoke. They asked him his why, and he kind of he hesitated. And he spoke about a player who never played for him. spoke about his relationship with an old coach, Coach Mark Richt, who was inducted in the Hall of Fame this year. Go, 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 go dogs. And he spoke about Paul Oliver. And if you're not a Georgia fan, you may not know who Paul Oliver is. But Kirby took his time on the podium to say, there was a player here named Paul Oliver. is a great great cornerback for him, for Georgia, from I believe it was, I think he played until 07. So he's my years, my age. Um, he didn't have the career he wanted in the NFL. He had his own struggles and he died via suicide in 2013. And watching Kirby talk about a player he didn't coach, but the impact that that had on him, 
because he said he owes it to these men. I'll link this this one in the in the uh, in the show notes. But he said he owes it to these young men to be the best coach he can be, and to prepare them not for football. He said these are all great football players, but I've told them that this is not who they are. This is a business, mind you, that at every turn reinforces that all you are is a football player. That you are at brass tacks a vehicle to earn that coach another contract and more money. For him to single out not just the memory of Paul Oliver, but the duty that he feels and the responsibility that he owes to the players under his care is the difference for me. And there are, I'm, there are coaches out there. I'm not saying there are not coaches who do this or no coaches who believe this or no coaches who exemplify this. I'm telling this on the biggest stage. He spoke to this. My father told me many years ago when I was going through my own recruiting process, use football. Don't let football use you. It's something that stuck with me my entire life. If you know me, I nothing I go to a, a, a oh, what do you do? I don't do that. I try not to at least. If I do that, then I'm truly bored at the party or function. Because who you are matters more than what you do. I'm gonna say that again. Who you are has to matter more than what you do. And watching Nolan Smith's injury on that side, being injured on that sideline and cheering and legitimately coaching and legitimately helping these gentlemen prep for Monday night. That's the best part of football to me. That's the thing. That's finding your why. That's building something that's going to hopefully last for a long time. And I hope that the men who come out of that program carry that lesson too. They won a lot and coach loved you, but coach didn't love you because you won. And if that ends up being Smart's legacy, of course, the two titles aren't going away, but that's something that's really important and really at the core of these things. The reason... Kirby was is such a good recruiter and such a hard worker is because when Saban was doing the dynasty building in Tuscaloosa, you saw assistants come and go and people couldn't take the grind. Kirby never left. He could take the grind. But he took the grind and he evolved it and used that grind in his own way. So, yeah, the game was fantastic. But more for me was hearing the players talk about how united they've been, how, how, how close they were as a group, and how they would not be denied. Now let's talk about the future, because I've heard a lot of the crying, no one doubted Georgia, they're manufacturing grief Last year they won a national title. 
They lost 30 football players in the country, ranked them third in the nation because we've created a situation where um, we have 24-hour news sports networks that you have to fill time on. And mark my words, before Toe Meets Leather in the fall, they will talk themselves into someone else either being number one or let's have a conversation how much did Georgia lose or what they'll do is they'll say, Hey, we haven't seen him do it without Stetson in a couple of years. They'll find a way to build the conversation to say, well, let's look at Tennessee. How about them Longhorns? I don't know. Maybe they've got defense at SC now. They're going to tell you lots of different reasons. Or Bama's coming back. They're going to tell you lots of different reasons why other teams are going to be showered in confetti come next January. I'll leave you with this. They ain't losing 30 this year. They're actively finally engaging the transfer portal, bringing in players. Kirby Smart's 47. I know what you think. You look at the haircut. 47 looks 12. I get it. That's a 47-year-old man who still thinks all this is fun. Go back to that clip everyone's sharing about Pollock and, and Saban. That man looks like he's having fun to you. Oh, you don't want to say it to Saban's face. Bro, last year they said it to Saban's face on the field. What'd they roll out? Two losses. And the sad part is, if he don't make the playoff next year, if he hangs up two more losses, there's your hot seat, Nick. Worst job in college football, Alabama is. And right now, the future's bright in Athens. But I'm not going to get into the three-peat conversation. I'm not going to, which is feasible. Which I'm not going to look at that schedule, which is hilarious, until August. I'm going to enjoy this one because it's really hard to win in this sport. It's hard to win any game in this sport. It's super hard to win a championship. I never won a championship on any level at any sport. I was a state runner-up in wrestling. I was a fifth place in a national wrestling tournament. We made it to the semis my junior year in football. Columbia is Columbia. It's really hard to win. It's really hard to win consistently. It's really hard to win a championship, and it's damn near impossible to repeat. Go back and look and see who's repeated over the last 40 years. I'll wait. It's not easy. It is hard. You've got to fight certain things within yourselves, within your program. Uh, Pat Riley calls it the disease of more. I talk about it all the time on the show. The disease of more says that once you win, everything should be great. Everyone should be happy. But no, because the disease of more creeps in. What's the disease of more? Everyone wants more. I want more attention. I want more time. I want more notoriety. I want more. And... Watching these men, young men, these children, be dedicated to the grind in this way, be so focused and have a leader that demonstrates that at every turn and everything that he does, salutes. Because that's how you build something that wins for a while. And y'all need to just pray for America, dog. Because... You can look at the look at the recruiting ring in Georgia behind. Cool, dog. See you on Saturdays. 
Well, what about, see on Saturdays, and my biggest thing for years, you could ask Michael Felder about this one. Georgia didn't develop as well as I thought they should, and they refused to open up the playbook. Todd Munkin looked me dead in the eye Monday night and said, now what, motherfucker? And I was like, well, Todd, um, uh, I have nothing for you. I would like to apologize. And uh, thank you for all you've done. If you don't know the name Todd Munkin, I remind you, he was the coach at Ohio State when Brandon Whedon was a first-round draft pick. Or as some call him Stetson Bennett III. That was a joke. He was also an old quarterback. But yeah, this is uh, this is something I had to record. I had to put it on wax because um, you can't take it for granted. You don't know when you're ever going to see your team win a title again. Um, but I'm fortunate to be in a place where I, I have hope and confidence and and all the uh, belief in the world that this is a squad that's while changing and while like like Kirby always says, every team's a different team. We're never going to be with that team again. But I'll be damned if they don't find a way to win. And I would damn if I don't believe they'll find a way to get back. And uh, if they're not, guys, I'm 37. I lived 35 years thinking I'd never see a title, and I've seen two in 12 months. You can't hurt me anymore. I say that now. But come game one next year, I'll be nervous and mad and concerned. And all the other things that come with being a college football supporter. I'm not a fan. You guys, fans make me sick and weird. But this is something special, man. This has been a special year for Georgia. Hats off to the entire defense. Dog, when they pulled the defensive starters for their curtain call and you got the big, the cheering and so far, and they brought in the thirds and the fourths, you know what the next play was? A fucking sack. When they pulled all the starters on offense and they put in Carson Beck and it was fourth and five, you know what Monken did? He threw a fucking slant. They wanted to do that. They wanted to leave no doubt and no doubt was left. The largest margin in college postseason history belongs to the University of Georgia on the biggest stage possible in a 60-minute recruiting video that says you too could run up the score as a backup. In a national title game. Them dogs as hell, ain't they? That was your show. We'll be back later this week with a little NFL uh, playoff preview, but uh just had to get this my chest. <sighs> feels good to be feels good to be good. Feels great to be great. Good teams win, great teams cover, dynasties blow a motherfucker out. That was your show. There is no outro. See you guys real soon.